Our scripture reading comes from the book of Romans, chapter 12, verses 9 through 16. Give your attention to the reading of God's word. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. You may be seated. Father, you have gathered us here today, the one who calls us by name and meets us here. We look to you and turn our gaze to you and your word. Would you teach us? Would you feed us with the gospel? Would you help us to see the beauty of Christ in the fullness of all that he is and has done for us and is doing this day? Meet us, we pray, in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Well, we are in a series. Uh, That was noted. If you've been here for a week or two or several now, you know that we're in Romans 12 and And what we will do today is focus on the very last of those verses read today. You hear them in context because that matters. Uh, And I hope to make that clear as we go forward, as we look at verse 16 together. Um, On any given day, almost any time of any given day, you can make a trip to Lower Broadway in Nashville. And you will not be the same. (laughs) <laughs> the things that go on, the life that teams, the people that are there, some from out of town, but some of us uh, finding our way to lower Broadway because of the life that is there, uh, the music that comes out of honky-tonks. Whether you like that music or not, you will find yourself tapping your toes uh, to some of it and even maybe singing along. I find it fascinating. Marilyn, not quite so. Um, but there are certain nights certain times of the year, that go into that same lower Broadway, parking in wherever you were able to park, and making your way between 3rd and 4th Avenue near Demumbrium, walking up some steps into some magnificent doors with those doors closing behind you, you will find something quite distinctive. As highly skilled musicians, arguably more skilled than those on lower Broadway, but that's for another debate. Uh, assemble together in the skirmer horn. And if you're on time, <laughs> you will hear as you take your seat, as the musicians in the orchestra take their seats, something remarkably baffling when each of the musicians tunes their instrument and makes sure everything is right in place. If they're tuning their instrument, I don't know how, in all of the noise that, that occurs as the orchestra warms up 
for what is about to unfold. But unlike Lower Broadway and some of the honky-tonks, when you take your seat in the skirmahorn, you don't go to hear the musicians. You don't go to hear the orchestra. You go to hear what the musicians and the orchestra do when their talents merge together in what we call a symphony. It's that blending together. It's that coming together. It's that result, the impact of highly skilled and practiced musicians craft, craftily blending together uh, in a way that uh, is found in no other fashion. A symphony bringing together music that delights even those who don't know all the intricacies to which they are listening. The discord that precedes all of that is, is remark, remarkable in itself. Discord, you see, is the lack of harmony between notes sounding together. And as harsh as that discord is in music to our ears, the discord between people is worse. One hurts your ears. The first hurts your ears. The other is explosive and divisive and damaging. Or can be. And often is. We read these all verses together starting with verse 9 because there is a context for verse 16. And that is this. Let love be genuine. Love one another with brotherly affection. We've explored a bit together. And what Paul teaches us in verse 16 is simply this. Genuine love combats discord. I want to try to show you and me how that works, how that does, how genuine love combats discord. That's what we're after today. And may the Lord open our eyes to see what he wants us to see here. These, these verses jammed together, verses 9 through 21, have quite a pace, you know, don't they? I mean, they're quick, they're staccato almost to use a musical term, but moving uh, almost uh, the way Paul sometimes does from topic to topic. But when you get to verses 14 through 16, I would suggest that you can find a little bit of a pattern. If you haven't found one yet, here is one. Try this on. uh, And we're going back now two weeks and last week to see how verses 14 through 16. So if you'll look at those words before you, you'll see uh, something of a theme and pattern. Let me see if I can show you. Um, what we see in verses 14 through 16 is the need to live in harmony with people. That's, that's a theme you could, you could wrap around verses 14 through 16. Verse 14 is talking about unbelievers. Remember two weeks ago, we, we learned that uh, we pursue this goal with unbelievers by meeting their scorn and hatred with love. That was what we talked about two weeks ago. So there's a bit of a harmony when we meet their scorn and hatred with love. That was verse 14. Then last week, 
we, we learned that we display the deep-seated harmony that the Spirit creates among believers by making other believers' joys and sorrows our own. We talked about that. Weep with those who weep. That's, we're talking about life together there. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Uh, there's a harmony with unbelievers and believers. And now we're sticking with believers and we go one more step and there's one more way that we express this unity, this, this harmony in our life together when we learn today that we are to display the unity created by the Spirit. Here it is. By being of the same mind. That's actually a way to translate a word that we will come back to and use. Harmony is a fair translation of the words that, that Paul uses there. Literally, though, in the New American Standard, if you ever read that or have that before you, you'll see it translated word for word. And that is that we are to display the unity created by the Spirit by being of the same mind. That's what Paul wants us to get out of verse 16. Um, and like these others, it's, it comes across in an imperative form. Uh, it is a charge. This is something that we are to do. This is not one of those, well, maybe one day or for some of us. No, this is for all of us. We are to take this on and we are to walk into it. Um, that's, that's what this is about. We're to have the same mind toward one another. Last week, we learned that our motion, emotions can be directed. You remember? They talked us through verse 15 there that uh, rejoice and weep. We think those are things that sort of hit us. And we're told, no, instead, we're to sort of take our emotions there. Well, today, we learned that we are to take our minds in a certain direction as well. And to pay attention to how we think about this, or in particular, how we think about those that are different from us, and how do we think toward them? How do we think about ourselves? How do we think about the gospel? How do we think about those that are unlike us, but are us, because we are united by faith in Christ? So that's what he's after. Paul says this repeatedly throughout his letters in 2 Corinthians 13. He says, finally, brothers... That's the conclusion of his book, his letter. Finally, brothers, rejoice. And for his conclusion, this is what he says. Aim for restoration. Comfort one another. Agree in one mind with one another. Live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. That's, that's how he signs off uh, what we call, the book we call 2 Corinthians. In Philippians, you'll recognize these words from chapter 2. Complete my joy or fulfill it. By being of the same mind, same language, same words. By being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord. And the word that he uses there is the word from which we get our word symphony. Uh, being of full accord and one mind. It's important to Paul. He even addresses an issue between two women. It happened to be women. could have been men. It was women who were disagreeing, there was some disruption. And he says to you, Euodia and Syntyche, I entreat you to agree to have one mind in the Lord. And then we just heard from Colossians 3, didn't we as well? Some of you know some of the story about John Wesley. John Wesley got, got a hold of his heart and, and he, was, he, was, uh, he gave his life to... to to extending the gospel and bringing men and women into the community of faith. 
And as he did, one of the, one of the things he did was he set up little what he called associations. Uh, people that met together intentionally over a period of time and, and their lives intersected. And he gave them some guidelines or some principles by which to order their common life together. One of them was believe evil of no one. That's, that's pretty good. You know, just believe evil of no one. Another way of saying that is uh, give them the benefit of the doubt. Believe evil of no one. Uh, speak evil of no one. So whatever you're thinking about that person, speak evil of no one. And then there was one that makes you scratch your head a little bit. When he says, tell everyone what you think wrong in him. And do so plainly and as soon as may be, else it will fester in your heart. He's just saying, come out of the gate and tell that person what you think is wrong with them. <laughs> be careful with that. <laughs> be cautious if you go down that road. Uh, I'm not sure that that's exactly what the Apostle Paul has in mind here. However, uh, he is after us having something that is, that, that is relationally formed in the way we interact with one another, and the language that he uses is be of the same mind toward. Um, Mark Ross is a pastor in our denomination writing in Ligonier Ministries Table Talk. Some of you see that. I would commend it to you. He's writing an article about a phrase that you will have heard, many of you, uh, somewhere along the way. The phrase is this. In essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. And in all things, charity. And Mark is commending this, explaining a little bit of its source. There's debate, actually, where this thing came from. Uh, many people have tried to tie it to Augustine. The first time it acts from, from scholarship and study, the first time it's ever really found in somebody's writing, it was a 17th German theologian whose name you wouldn't recognize. But he was writing during the Thirty Years' War when all kinds of, uh, in European history, when, when uh, there were serious religious tensions, to say the least. And he's writing and he says, think about this, friends, in essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. And in all things, charity. It's, it's found some traction over the years. In fact, even as you hear those words, I've seen several heads just nod along, either out of familiarity or endorsement or longing that that might be the case. <laughs> um, Richard Baxter was an English Puritan at the, around the same time, soon after he picked up on that and wrote about it and talked about it frequently. Uh, it was adopted as a motto for the Moravian Church in North America and most recently by the Evangelical Presbyterian Church, who we consider brothers and sisters in Christ. There's, there's, a, there's a place for this language and this way of thinking. Mark says, it, the saying strikes the right balance. It calls for unity on the essential things, the core of truth in our union with Christ. The Apostles' Creed, which we will use together later today, those are essentials, and that's what marks our union with Christ, a, a common core commitment to the revealed truth. In non-essentials, 
And by that, he carefully, Mark carefully reminds us that that doesn't mean unimportant. If it's true, it's important. <laughs> but there are some things that would be non-essential. That is, those things that, if lacking, do not prevent our union with Christ. You with him? In essentials, unity. In, all, in, in non-essentials, liberty. It calls for liberty so that all might follow their consciences under the word and the spirit. In all things, however, there must be love, a charity which binds everything together in perfect harmony from Colossians 3. That's what we're called to. One mind. Together with one mind. And yet things get in the way. Paul points out a couple and puts his finger on a couple right here in verse 16. In verse 16 when he says, do not be haughty. He's putting his finger on the issue that if you drill deep enough, the issue that stands in the way of this kind of symphonic harmony in the body of Christ, which we all recognize does not exist, <laughs> or very long, very well. The issue beneath it all, Paul singles out as a haughty pride. Now, the trick with that is, the trouble with it is, it doesn't feel or even appear haughty at times because we've become ingenious by ways of masking that haughty pride and coming across in some other fashion. But the deeper you drill, what you find when you strike the bottom is an arrogant pride. An arrogant pride that wears the clothes of religion. Maybe even wears the clothes of faith. Maybe even wears the clothes of righteousness and Christ. But if below the surface, if there is an, a haughty, arrogant pride, it is a barrier, an obstacle so what Paul has in mind when he says, live in harmony with one another. Be of the same mind. Now, before you jump to too many conclusions on where that could take you, listen to these words from Alexander McLaren. I've read from him a couple of times recently. I find his words helpful. He says, be of the same mind toward one another is not opposed to a wide divergence of opinion. That's good to hear. <laughs> to be of the same mind does not stand in the way of a wide divergence of opinions on matters. And then he says, though in our imperfect sanctification, that is, hey, we're just not what we hope to be or will be one day. We're sinners saved by grace, but we're still trying to figure this out. In our imperfect sanctification, it is hard for us to differ and yet be in concord. Boy, is that true? I mean, don't you know that personally? It's hard to differ and be of one mind. It's really hard to differ and love 
at the same time. Because, after all, I'm right. <laughs> and when I'm right, be careful. <laughs> and when you're right, be careful. Uh, that's, that's, that's what Paul is after here. It's not that we, that we shy away from what is right and true and that we're working together to understand, continually understand what is true, what is right. But the manner in which we carry on that dialogue with ourselves and with one another is really what Paul's talking about. He's writing to people like us and addressing issues that we have when he says, pay attention to what lurks below the surface in your own heart and life. This is, again, what he goes on to say. He says, <clears throat> this is McLaren, the true hindrances to our having the same mind toward one another lie very much deeper in our nature than the region in which we keep our creeds. Do you hear what he's saying? He said that we can say the apostles agreed together, which we will before we leave today. But, but there's, there's something deeper in our nature where we hold our self-centered, harsh opinions. We can agree and choose to agree on essentials, but on those non-essentials, we have difficulty. He calls it, uh, the reason is a self-regard and self-absorption or petulant dislike of fellow Christians' peculiarities. Ooh, ooh, how do you like that? Uh, petulant dislike of fellow Christians' peculiarities. <laughs> I love that. The indifference, which comes from a lack of imaginative sympathy. Or another way, kind of a grassroots Street way of saying it, as I mentioned earlier, is giving the benefit of the second the benefit of the doubt, granting the benefit of the doubt, rather than harboring on petulant dislike for the peculiarities of a person or their views that differs from your own. He says there's something that we are to avoid and something that we're to pursue. We, we've already gotten to the avoid. It's that haughty, self-arrogant approach. That is what we are to avoid when he says, don't be haughty. Call it what it is and, and, and deal with that as it, for what it is. And repent. Do not be haughty. But instead, we are to pursue. What is it that we are to pursue? This is a little bit like Paul's language in Colossians and Ephesians where he says, put off and put on. Here he says, avoid and pursue. And what we are to pursue, he says here in verse 16, is to, we are to associate with people of low position. That is how the NIV translates that phrase. To associate together with, not opposed to or away from, but associate with people of low position. In Francis Schaeffer's words, there are no little people. There are no marginal people in the body of Christ. There are no opinions that don't matter because those persons are not important because we all are. And your views and your attitudes and your stories matter. If you're here today wondering if your story matters, it does. 
Your experience matters. Your faith and the way you are interacting with God's call upon your life matter. And we need to know that. People need to hear your story and your views and your opinions, even if they are still forming. And for most of us, our views should be still forming. One of the banner cries of the Reformation was Semper Reformandi. If there are any Marines in here, you know that that means always reforming, always changing, taking what I believe and how I live and measuring it by God's word again and again and again. That does not mean that we don't land the plane on those things that are essential. It just means that we're always subject to learning from one another as we pursue this together. Abraham Lincoln, I was told between services, um, reminded of something I think I had heard before, but uh, the, the story of Abraham Lincoln and his cabinet is told in a recent book entitled Team of Rivals, which I am now going to read. But when Abraham Lincoln formed his cabinet, he gathered people around him who did not agree with his principles and policies. Unlike our instinct would be to gather around us people that can help us put into place what we've already determined is true and right and good. But Lincoln said, I need to have people around me where I can hear what they're saying. And he was challenged one day when he, when he was going to meet with a certain senator. He, said, he was asked, why are you going to meet with Senator so-and-so? He said, well, I'm going to meet with him because he might be right. He might be right. There is something about this, uh, this notion in which we're constantly to learn that, that helps us guard from an arrogant self-assertion of opinions that are half-baked or just sound right like they ought to be true. Please don't hear anything along these lines as undermining what is essential and what is true. What Paul is after is the relationships that, that we have, that we bring to the table when we talk these things through. He says, associate with those of low opinion. Maybe that's what he says. The maybe is, the word that, that is used there is either masculine or neuter. And if it's neuter, he's not talking about lowly people or, or lesser people in any way or the outcast. He's talking about menial tasks. He might be talking about a humble task. On the one hand, associate with lowly people. On the other hand, take up that humble task. I've heard the story told about someone that had, had walked through the office to meet with the head of a ministry and said, I'm here to help you. I want to be involved in this ministry because of what it is and all it's about, and I think it's doing a great thing, and I want to be a part of this. And the head of the ministry said, there's a closet right there, and in there you'll find a bucket and a mop, and the bathroom's downstairs knee cleaning. It's not what the volunteer had in mind when he came through the door volunteering for the ministry, but the leader of the organization really did get across the point that is there is a, a, a menial task, a humble task that is just as important as the one behind the microphone or the one in the spotlight. 
because there are no little, little people, there are no little jobs, and there's no job too small for you. But whether he's talking about lowly people or humble tasks, either one of those melt the arrogant, selfish, and pride that we sometimes bring to the table and don't recognize it. That's why Paul says, don't be haughty. Associate with lowly people or take up that humble task. And in conclusion, he says, he echoes a couple of words, conclusion to this verse, he, this passage, he, he echoes two verses earlier from Romans 11 and Romans 12 earlier in verse 3 where, where we read these words, lest you be wise in your own sight. That's why you do this. Lest you be wise in your own sight. Now, it's, it's really a good thing to be wise. It's not such a good thing to be wise in your own sight. Meaning, what that means is, I'm not as wise as I think I am. I'm not as wise as I may sound or come across. That's what he's saying. Don't be wise in your own sight. Let others find wisdom in you. That's a good thing. But if you're the only one that calls you wise, there's a problem. Paul gets this from Proverbs. Apparently, he's quoting Proverbs 3. You know, that passage that we all know or many of us know uh, about trust in the Lord and don't lean on your own understanding. This is the next line when he says, don't be wise in your own eyes. That's what follows that famous Proverbs 3 section. Uh, also in Proverbs, give instruction to a wise man and he'll be wiser still. Teach a righteous man and he will increase in learning. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. A wise man listens to advice. I mean, we think a wise man is the one who gives advice. But the Proverbs say the wise one is the one who listens to advice because he grows in wisdom. Be not wise in your own eyes, Paul says. Instead, <laughs> take a posture that allows you to move through the obstacle of selfish pride into the relationships that you're called to. And that is symphonic, harmonious, genuine love. Easier said than done, right? That's, that's the charge. That's the obstacle. How do we get through the obstacle? There is a way through. There is a way through this. There is a way to get there. And Paul wants you to know that. The solution, though, has to deal with human nature because you can't work this up. You can't just decide to not be haughty. You can't just decide that other people are as important as you. Something has to change. Something has to go on on the inside. We get a hint at this. When Paul opens Roman, he describes the scene as, as the gospel comes on the scene, it finds a people that are haughty and boastful. That's how he describes the world apart from Christ. That's how he describes you and me apart from Christ, haughty and boastful. And then there's the gospel. Because the gospel comes to change you and me from haughty and boastful into a harmonious symphony of sons and daughters of the living God. For it to happen, something has to give, go away. 
Something has to die. Dietrich Bonhoeffer in his book Life Together says, your ideals of what fellowship might be have to die. (laughs) You've got to give up on this notion that when we come together, all works just in perfect harmony automatically. He writes about it in his book Life Together where he calls this thing, there there is a wish. We wish that life were harmonious and symphonic. And then he says, that has to die. He says, we must be overwhelmed by a great disillusionment with others, with Christians in general, and if we are fortunate, with ourselves. And when that occurs, there's room for the gospel to land. When we give up on the idea that this is simply a matter of gathering in the same room, singing the same songs, and everything is ironed out and life is a symphony, when we recognize, no, there's more spade work to be done, that we can't wish this to be true. That wish has to die, but something else has to come. What comes in its place? There's one thing that it's displayed in the the Trinity, Listen to these words from Proverbs 8. This is wisdom personified, which we, as you read, stick with the story, you understand Christ is wisdom, is our wisdom. But wisdom personified, describing the Trinity, his delight and his engagement with the fathers. In the middle of Proverbs 8, we read these words. Then I was beside him, like a master workman. I was daily his delight, rejoicing before him always, rejoicing in his inhabited world and delighting in the children of men. Here's a glimpse behind the curtain where you see the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit creating a world, delighting in one another, being of one mind toward one another and toward the world that was in formation. It's displayed in the Trinity. but it's also derived from the Trinity. This oneness of mind is displayed in the Trinity. It's derived from the Trinity. You see, the Father is the one who has adopted you by faith. He has made you a son and a daughter. He's adopted you to himself. The Son, the one who said, I am meek and I am lowly in heart. The one who humbled himself to take on the form of a servant laying aside his privileges to do so. The one who, who, who gives life to you, united to him by faith. Father adopting the son, incorporating in the spirit, opening our eyes to shine the spotlight on the father and the son, quickening our hearts to faith and to love and creating a unity. You see this unity that we're talking about? When Paul writes about it in Ephesians 4, he doesn't say create the unity. He says, maintain it. Maintain the unity that has been created by the Spirit that you've been brought into. Our role is to maintain what is there by associating with the lowly, by taking up humble tasks, by laying aside self-arrogant self-absorption and listening to others whose views may be different from our own, 
along the way. It's derived. We're going to end with these words, the service later today in our benediction, where you're going to hear these words pronounced. May the triune God is my addition. May the God of, of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony and one mind with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice glorify the, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's the triune God who does that, who grants that to you. The Father, the Son, the Spirit. So let me close with a few words of application. To have the same mind requires a relationship. It assumes it. it. It assumes that you know one another or there are people in this fellowship who know you well. <clears throat> it's not likely that we will know everyone to the same degree. But, there is, but, but this being of one mind assumes a relationship. That, that there are some people here who know you and you know them and you're talking through what is essential and non-essential, and in all things, you're talking through all things. And there's a relationship that forms around the gospel, that your, your lives intersect and overlap. And for some of you, you may need to take a step toward others. But this one another, this having the same mind requires a relationship. It assumes it. The other is this, the differences that might divide might be the very means God uses to build us up. Uh, it's another story, but it works here. Paul's writing about the body of Christ, and he says, you know, the hand needs the foot. The foot needs the arm. We need one another. In fact, the people that you need the most are the ones that are most different from you <laughs> for the body to function. Uh, think of harmony in that regard. If all the, if all the, if we were all left-handed We'd be in trouble. <laughs> we would be out of tilt. We need the people that are most different from us, Paul says. But here's another thing, that we need to be able to simultaneously disagree and love those with whom we disagree at the same time. We can't afford for the, to belittle someone and this work. It doesn't work. We need to learn how to love and disagree at the same time, which is hard for probably all of us. We feel like we have to choose between the two, right? We either agree or we love. And Paul's saying, no, that is the very fabric of what I'm talking about. Harmony, living and with one mind together, does not mean that you all agree on everything, but that you know how to disagree and to love. And when any church or any denomination learns how to do that better, God would be pleased. As we learn to love those with whom we disagree, we may learn something along the way. Think of Lincoln and his example. But here's finally, we'll, we'll end with this. We have to lean on the one who is wisdom, who is humility. Paul, in another letter, writes, because of him, because of the Father, you were in Christ Jesus, 
who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. It's the triune God. It's this, this thing we're after is displayed in the Trinity. It's derived from the Trinity. It is granted to you, to us. That the world would watch. That we would watch what it is to, to love one another in such a way that our corporate life together sounds not like the orchestra warming up, but a symphony with each voice, each son and daughter of the living God bringing themselves to the table because they hear the sound of the music of the gospel. You see, it's when we hear the music of the gospel that any of this is possible. And when we hear the sound and the music of the gospel, it is not only possible, it's what happens. It's what God does in spite of us, but through us and toward one another. Pray with me. Where we would pray that... <clears throat> Aspects of this would shape the way we live and move toward one another. That we would learn to recognize the matters in our lives that call for repentance and faith. That we would repent, that we would move toward you, toward one another, toward those with whom we disagree. Show us how to how to love those who are different from us. How we <clears throat> hold on fast to Christ, the one who holds fast to us. Thank that you've revealed yourself to us through Christ. It is to him that we come. It is through him that we come to you. In Christ's name, amen. Let's stand and sing.